Do you ever wonder what happened to your friends from high school? I mean, you were so close. You laughed together, you cried together, you shared some of the best years of your lives together. And yet, somehow through life, you just lost touch. Now it's time to relive those moments once again. Introducing the podcast that takes you back in time to the place where it all began. This is Class Reunion. We're bringing you all the gossip, secrets, and scandals from your high school days that you won't want to miss. Join us as we catch up with old classmates and dive into the wildest stories from our high school days. From those legendary parties to the infamous cliques, we're spilling all the tea on who's who and what really went down. So grab a seat, turn your volume up, and get ready for a trip down memory lane. Class Reunion, the podcast that reunites us all. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Class Reunion. Today will be a single episode where I will carry on my story, but I wanted to come on first and just say thank you for the support up to this point as we look forward to 2024, exciting things ahead, and I'm looking forward to sharing with you where Class Reunion is going to go. But just wanted to thank you thus far for your support. Thus far. I could speak and wish my son a happy birthday. So this episode is where we ca- carry on from finding out I'm pregnant and having my son born on January 2nd. So first of all, what a rip off that day is. He was scheduled to first be the 22nd, then it went to the 26th, then that little sucker held on till January. He just approved of his accommodations or he was stuck. I don't know, but he held on to January 2nd. And you know, if you think of that day, it's always the first day back at work or the first day back at school. And I would bring cupcakes to class and the teachers would look at me like, please, we've had enough sugar throughout the season. We don't want anything else. And so I always felt sorry for him that, you know, we came back to school and not everybody was into it. So I did learn to pivot and I started to bring a box of White Castle hamburgers and even the teachers enjoyed that. So that was my way of getting around the sugar buzz from the holiday season. So happy birthday to you, Joe. I'm looking forward to seeing you on Tuesday and let's get going with the continuation of my single episode. So as I've talked to you before, when I did a little recap with my podcast producer, I do these non-video. So I'm going to close the window here and let my mind just roll and free ball this next portion as you join me on me welcoming our son to the new world. So happy new year, everybody, and happy birthday, Joe. Okay, let's get moving. So I think I mentioned at the last episode, you know, we had some trouble getting pregnant and definitely was surprised that it ended up coming to fruition and grateful, of course, but there had been you know, some difficulty along the way and some questioning on even the strength of our marriage. And so I look back and since Joe is my only child, I'm obviously very, very grateful that he is part of my life and and joined us in this fabulous world. And I'm looking forward to celebrating uh, his 28th coming up. So I still remember like probably a lot of people that pregnancy test, I've only had one child. So this is like the first of the first. And I think you just never forget that. And it wasn't even intentional. It was just somebody who thought my boobs looked big and said, I bet you you're pregnant. And we just decided on the way home from this dinner that 
maybe she's right and I should take a test. So sure enough, uh, the next morning, I wasn't even like rushing to do it. I took it in the morning and I still remember walking uh, into the kitchen with, with a positive test. It was shocking, quite frankly. And so of course we were excited. I do remember from that moment on though, you know, we were both working a lot. We traveled a lot as I did all the way till the end of my pregnancy. I remember not wanting to go to some event. And I said, listen, I'm like eight and a half months pregnant. And they said, oh, that's fine. We'll we'll have you room with another woman who's pregnant. She was like on her fifth baby at this point, And she looked half my size. I was like, oh, great. Womp, womp. But anyway, um, that was in the day in pharmaceutical and surgical sales where you shared a room with with people. Weird, right? That's a whole nother story of all the affairs I had to witness. But anywho, and so we weren't like a tight-knit couple during the pregnancy because we were two ships passing in the in the night. And I remember thinking it was kind of weird that he never really had a desire to touch my belly or feel him kicking or anything like that. It, everyone's different. I just remember thinking that it wasn't this super special thing that we were going through together. I think we were feeling it separately, which is fine. But looking back, I would have loved to have done it in a more partnership fashion. But, you know, it just was was what it was. And I remember even the gender reveal, which I told you I'm not a fan of, you know, I just also knew he was disappointed it was a boy. And I've already shared all this. Joe knows it. So, uh, you know, it just is what it is. But I, he, I think he just always wanted a girl, told his mom he wanted a girl on the way home from the ultrasound. And so it's why I always feel very funny about gender reveals. I understand that it's exciting and you want to know, but really at the end of the day, it's about having a healthy child, which we did in the beginning and then had some complications, which is what I'm going to talk about. It's probably going to be, of course, a little two-parter, but um, you know, you get that book what to expect when you're expecting. And it ends with the birth of your child. And there's so much more that comes thereafter. And I just didn't get that addition. You know, I was too busy trying to see if it was the size of a pea or if it was the size of a walnut or how big, you know, every month the baby has grown. But that book afterwards, that manual that nobody gets, and you leave the hospital with, you know, wide eyes and like, the level of trust that comes from the medical staff that you know what you're doing. And I just know we're all first-time parents, super, super nervous. So we were getting down to the wire. And I remember saying to the doctor, I just think his head is in my rib cage. You know, I'm the mother, right? I can feel the kicking down below, not up on top. There wasn't this dropping that everybody talks about. Everyone was like, oh, you look like you're dropping. And I'm thinking, I look as big as I did you know, three months ago. But insurance is a big deal. And at the time, this was 95, you know, I was approved for one ultrasound and my doctor didn't want to do a second. And I kept saying, but I don't think he's in position. I don't think he's in position. And every week at the end, you know, you do go. And so he would always say, no, I I feel him right here. His head is down. And then the joke became, you know, he didn't know a head from an ass, but that's hang on, we'll buckle up for that part. So we're now into January and my slumbered boy is not ready to join the world until the the second and starts to have, I start to have contractions. And I was actually pretty proud of myself because by the time we were on our way 
And at the hospital, I knew I was far along and I was okay. I mean, it wasn't like I was, you know, having a good old time, but I certainly could tolerate the pain. I was married after all. And we get to the hospital. Now, I was in Dearborn at this time, but because I had had this OBGYN my whole life from when I was a child, I went to Beaumont to stay with that doctor. Why? Looking back, I don't know. And we get there and the physician on duty comes in and does an exam and says, you know, your, your son is breech, like I'm an idiot. And I said, no, I know. I have been saying that all along. Is he still breech? And she said, yes, we have to do an emergency C-section. <laughs> and now I'm at five centimeters. Ugh. Anyway, everybody has a story. and I'm not going to get into all the details because we've all shared them and no need to go into specifics. But I will. So we have this emergency C-section. My doctor comes slowly in. He's like, oh, it's after the new year and you want me to deliver your baby. And I was just ready to strangle him. Because now we're in a complicated high-risk situation that we didn't need to be in. And sure enough, when they were delivering him, because my uterus was now probably, I was probably contracting, I was probably, I don't know, six, seven at this point, his head was stuck in my uterus because now it's contracting. And they had to, I heard the word scissors, which is never a good sign, like it's an art project. And I could hear him like he's gift wrapping and yanking my son out. I mean, everybody has that same sensation, but this was pretty tough because he was pretty stuck in there and everything was fine. He cried. Wonderful. Everyone's ooing and eyeing over him, and I'm asking for a bucket to the side because I know I'm going to get sick, and everyone's over at the bassinet, and I'm like, I need a basin. I need a basin. And so I started to get sick, and nobody cared. But anyway, happy day <laughs> nonetheless. And there is nothing when you hear the cry of your child. It's an incredible feeling. And I felt super blessed. And we were able to go home a couple of days later, and everything was fine. Until uh, we're talking January, right? So January 2nd, he's born. It's Michigan. It's freezing. And, you know, it was just not necessary to go out. But uh, I remember my husband's like, we need to go to Olive Garden. So we were out and about with him probably more than we should have. And the worst culmination was going to my parents' house at one point when I knew we shouldn't have gone. And I, I hope you realize by now, I balance my stories, you know, where the fault lies. And this is one where I didn't speak up and I really should have. And I didn't. Um, they all wanted to see Joe and we went to my parents' house and I could hear my mom when we were talking on the phone about what time to come over with my dad hacking in the background. And my dad, when he would get sick, I mean, everybody in the neighborhood could hear him coughing. It was just one of those. It was a from your toes to your nose kind of hack. And I'm almost like, is he sick? Oh, no, 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 your dad is fine. And he's in the background, I'm fine, I'm fine. So we get there and my sister was there, I think, and her husband, I think my brother was there with Patty. I can't remember, but I think, I think the whole gang was there. And my dad is holding Joe. Now, I don't know if you had a cologne that brings back post-traumatic stress. But for me, it's Paul Sebastian. My dad would bathe in that stuff. And he loved that there was a free gift that came with Paul Sebastian. Um, so he would buy it all the time. That was, that was what he always wanted for Christmas because he could get a, a clock or an umbrella <laughs> or whatever they were giving away. 
And so he's holding my son. So not only is he smelling like a 70-year-old man with Paul Sebastian, but my dad is hacking into his face. And I, even Jay at this point, we're looking at each other. And so we decided to leave. And we're driving home and we're laughing about how he smells because my dad's cologne is everywhere in this car. But I was extremely concerned about the health of my father. And I called the next day and I was like, why did we come? Dad was obviously really sick. And she said, yes, he has pneumonia. Oh, families. So sure enough, uh, my son gets extremely sick and he has to be taken to the emergency room. And they wanted to do an MRI because they could hear fluid in the lungs. And again, a chapter that's not in the book, when you have an infant and they need to take an MRI, they just toss them in a tube, a cylinder, clear cylinder tube. His feet are dangling, his hands are above his head, and they drop him in. And I am literally freaking out. Joe is screaming bloody murder. And I, I'm speechless. I, I, I just don't even know what to say. Obviously, that's how they do it. But again, had never experienced this. And I'm looking, I'm like, ready to go grab him. And then she yanks him arms <laughs> and pulls him out just in time and hands him over to me. And I was like, I think I'm going to have a coronary. So sure enough, the results were Joe had pneumonia. <laughs> and it just started to push forward a lot of things that led to his his major illness. So I'm having to go back to work fairly soon after that diagnosis. So he's home trying to get over pneumonia. I'm now having to put him in daycare. And I did feel that I was going to be a working mom. I think a lot of women when they're pregnant and they don't know the circumstances of how they're going to feel afterwards do feel that they are all capable of juggling both going back to work and um, having a child. It's I think it's six weeks for natural and eight for C-section. And I felt that way. I was on board. I liked my job. Um, we were two working family. We were two income couple. And it wasn't until Joe got sick that I was feeling rushed to go back to work. And we also couldn't find daycare. So when you first get pregnant, I think before the act of sex, you have to sign up your child for for daycare. And those of you that remember back then, you'll know it's it's just like it's crazy. You have to basically say, I think I'm going to be pregnant at this month. Will you have an opening nine months from now? And we just really ran out of runway and we were looking for in-home care. We decided that would probably be best. And people canceled. People never showed up. Now, mind you, we're still using the newspaper back then in 1995, early 1996. And it was an ad. And so people just didn't show up. And the one person who did was this elderly woman. And I thought, oh, perfect. She looks like the grandmother type. She'll be reliable. She's got wisdom under her belt. This will be perfect. Until I smelled a peach snaps coming out of her mouth. Uh, she was slurring. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Barbara. And, you know, wasn't going to get hired. She was hilarious. In fact, I mean, it was just kind of like it was such a cliche that this drunken woman came to interview <laughs> to be a nanny. So we found this house and it wasn't my first choice because you're exposing your newborn to all sorts of 
children, but everyone's like, oh, it's going to build up their immunity. And I was like, well, he's already had pneumonia. So he was at this daycare and he was one of five infants. And then there were a bunch of other kids. And one time I picked him up and I remember there was like a sucker stuck to his forehead. So I wasn't wild about it, but I had to get back to work. And I was feeling that pressure because my husband's mother, my mother-in-law was a workaholic. She was an incredible realtor in Dearborn. She worked her butt off. She was always at her desk in the dining room, having a cigarette, closing some type of deal before dinner. And um, she just was a powerhouse. And that is what Jay was exposed to his life. It was um, his father had retired early from Ford and she was, you know, crushing it in the real estate business. And that is what he was expecting of his wife. And I just don't think either of us really did an evaluation of were we were we each other's view of being a parent? You know how people say, oh, I want her to be the mother of my children. I don't think he thought that. And I know I didn't look at him and say, oh, I want him to be the father of my children. You know, we were just two people who went out to dinner a lot and dated for a year and then decided to get married. So the bar was low and everything changes. Everything changes. And everybody knows that once it happens, but you don't have really a good support community, I think, at the time to talk about some of those changes and challenges. And um, we just started to not be on the same page when I went back to work. Uh, there was a period where Joe started to have increasingly high temperatures that we couldn't get down with Tylenol. And they were in a scary range pretty consistently for a day. And we put a call in to the pediatrician. Now, I'm sharing this part just because you'll understand what I'm about to say. I had been in the medical sales community for quite a t long time, whether it was pharmaceutical or surgical sales. So I spoke physician language. And by that, I mean, you know, predominantly in the medical field, you have Asian and Indian descent of physicians. And our pediatrician was no exception. Her name was Dr. Desai out of Dearborn, Oakwood. And she was great. And, but, you know, she, she was Indian and spoke very, very fast. And I was just accustomed to knowing what she was saying and how to communicate and so we had put a call into the emergency line and she called back and I answered the phone and I remember Jay took the phone out of my hands. Now, whatever, I can't understand why, but it's what he did. And he started to talk to her and he just kept saying, okay, okay, okay. And I was in the background saying, what is she saying? Because I could hear her at the speed of light talking and I knew he was not absorbing what she was saying through no fault. It's just, you know, I just knew he wasn't able to pick up all of the important details <laughs> that she was sharing. And so he hung up the phone and wouldn't let me speak to her. And I said, what did she say? And he said, she, we have an appointment tomorrow morning at eight o'clock. Well, he is sweating bullets and there was a leather couch in the family room. And it's where I had him sleep that night to just, because remember, it's like, April at this point, it's it's kind of chilly in Michigan. And I was trying to just have a cool, cool place for him to rest his head and put washcloths on him all night and slept on the floor there while he was on the couch until we went to the doctor. 
And she was located within Dearborn, Oakwood Dearborn Hospital, which is a blessing in disguise as I share this next part with you. So we get to the waiting room, we sign in and, you know, that little glass window where you put your name in and Joe is in his car seat and he's got his little snowsuit on and his legs and arms are flailing like a little baby would. And she took one look at him and jumped over the counter, took him out of the car seat, out of his snowsuit and ran him down the flight of stairs to the emergency room. Can you imagine? I mean, again, this is not in the book, what to expect when you're expecting. And we're chasing after her. And she's like, why didn't you go to the ER? Like I said, why didn't you go to the ER? I told you if his fever didn't reduce, you needed to go to the ER. He's having a seizure. Well, that's what the flailing was. You know, normally I think you think a seizure is like shaking or, uh, you know, I don't know what I thought it was. But in an infant, it's very hard to detect if you're not, you know, used to what that looks like. And I am looking at Jay, ready to kill him. And I said, what did she say to do if his fever didn't go down? And she said, I told him to take you to take Joe to the ER. And I started to get upset and I'm ripping into him and she is calming me down. And she's saying, this is not the place or the time we have to get him taken care of. I need to have a spinal tap done right away. This has to wait. This argument has to wait. Boy. Where do you go from there? So there is this little three-month-old having a spinal tap, which again, wasn't used to seeing a gigantic, huge needle going in my son's back. And sure enough, he was diagnosed with uh, strep pneumococcal bacterial meningitis. Say that three times. And I'm not going to ex bother explaining, but a lot of the viral bacteria, viral meningitis you hear about and can get a booster shot for is when kids go to college or sometimes it's the teen years and it is viral and they can be in the hospital and have it taken care of. It doesn't mean that they don't die from it if they're not diagnosed quickly enough, but it is something they can recover from. Bacterial meningitis, the specific kind he had was pretty deadly and 2% were going to come become unscathed. Most of them either passed or had a lot of cerebral palsy-like symptoms after this particular bacterial meningitis. So we are now in Oakwood Hospital, and he is continuing to have seizures on a daily basis. And phenobarbital was the drug of choice at the time. And he had reached his max dosage that he was allowed at his age. And the doctor finally said, listen, I can't. In my right mind, keep him here. He has to go to a specialist. I have to have him airlifted right now to Children's Mott's Hospital in U of M. And the helicopter is on its way. So whether you're religious or not, this all took place on Good Friday. And it was just not lost on me on like the importance of the day and how scary that it was on this Good Friday that I was going to have to see my son be airlifted to a NICU. So in Top Gun fashion, four guys in leather jackets, I take that back. I think there was a female on board too. So three men and a female with leather jackets, totally cool looking at the time, with the emblem of U of M on it, come down the hallway like knights in shining armor with a stretcher and just take this tiny little boy, put him on the stretcher and take off. And of course, I asked, you know, can we come? <laughs> a, I thought it would be cool. But I didn't want to leave aside. I thought there's no way he's going on the helicopter without me. But they won't take parents on that type of 
flight in case anything were to happen. So he is at the top of Oakwood. I'm at the bottom with my green minivan and I'm driving. Jay, for some reason, couldn't drive. So he was nervous. And so I drove and knew the hospital very well. And so we're taking off in our green minivan because remember, he was a Michigan State fanatic. So the van had to be green. And we are driving side by side for a while in the sky. And I'm on the expressway. And my son is up in the air going to this hospital. Intense. So we get there and we are ushered through the NICU. And I still to this day remember walking through and to my left were rows of little tiny babies on life support machines. And then my son is in a glass room. There were only two NICU with glass walls and he was in one and there was a child in the other. And they had already had his x-rays completed for his brain and were they were up and looking at them and having a consultation. Like they just did not mess around. And they walk into the room and they said, you see this brain has 80% fluid. Your son is going to be retarded. He will be deaf and you will be assigned a social worker tomorrow morning. Now I'm using that language because at the time in 96, that was what they used. And they left and said, we'll see you in the morning on our rounds. <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy. So I remember thinking that I had a portion of gratitude. And as odd as that sounds, I felt like we were handed a diagnosis that would have an outcome and we would be dealing with it and he, we would be leaving. And I say that because I looked around and I looked at these children and I knew most of them were never going to come out. One was a gunshot oh, victim. The baby was only two months old and he was on life support. It, it, the stories were just horrific that were in there. And next to his room was I called the bubble boy, swear to God. He had been living in this particular NICU for a year and they were preparing for his birthday party tomorrow. I don't know what it was the diagnosis, something that he's allergic to everything in the outside air. So there was specific filtration that had to go in this particular unit and he had been living in there for a year. And I just took a step back and thought, I don't know the circumstances in which we're leaving, but we're leaving. I know we'll be leaving. And I used that as my guide from that point on to just know that I had so much compassion and thought and prayer for the other parents that were in there that were dealt a different hand. I, I just, I cannot imagine. So we had already been a week at Dearborn's uh, Oakwood, and now we're three and a half weeks at U of M. And during that time, he had highs and lows. Uh, there were a couple of days that he was paralyzed on the left side with his seizures. His mouth was hanging and his limbs on the left side were not working. And um, I still put him in his little overalls and changed his diaper and fed him every day. I just was inconsolable to leave that boy's side. 
And I stayed there every day. I showered. My sister and my mom brought meals. They came to visit. Jay came to visit. But there was no way in hell you were going to get me out of that room. That's just bottom line, period. And so that's where we stayed. And we worked through it. And I went to the chapel every day and prayed. There were people that had prayer chains going. My niece and nephew had an uncle that was in the NFL. And he did a prayer chain, and I didn't care, you know, tall, short, fat, thin, what your faith was, north, south, east, west, bring it on. I I just uh, accepted and wanted and, and appreciated it all. And it was a blur. It was a, it was a big blur. But he was responsive, and he would smile, and he was his typical, you know, um, self for the most part. But we just didn't know what would be in store thereafter. And there were moments of levity. Like I remember when he was starting to get better towards the end that you could have this little red wagon and take your child around in a square, you know, around the unit. And I just remember that being my goal of like, I can't wait to when I can put Joe in this little red wagon and take him around the hallway. And sure enough, towards the end, we still had, I think, an IV with him. But at this point, he was off the machines. And we went and walked around that little unit. And I felt like it was almost graduation day to me to be able to put my name on the board that I wanted 30 minutes (laughs) of the red wagon. But it's those little things, right? It's those little things that mean a lot. And we ended up taking him home uh, thereafter. So the whole thing was probably a month, a month and a half. And I'm so discombobulated at this point. I'm, I'm just, you know, not sure what the road is ahead, but I have this boy, we're leaving. And we came home and we all slept through the night. Uh, it was as if Joe knew he was home and he slept right through the night. And he slept on through the night thereafter. and. Um, what a blessing that was. But the road ahead was that he still had to take anti-seizure medication three times a day. And he had to go to U of M every week, uh, twice a week. And they alternated. One would be a hearing test and the other would be an MRI for evaluation of the fluid on the brain. And the hearing test was kind of fun. There were these little monkey toys or whatever, you know, with the, with the, um, symbols in the corner of the room and they, they would play different sounds and see where his head would turn. Uh, that was painless, but the MRIs were awful and there was a sedation that was required every time and it got to him after a while. And sometimes he was inconsolable and it was the opposite effect and he wouldn't relax and fall asleep. He was agitated and screaming and uh, just challenging. And I know everyone has a story. This is just his. I know there's worse things that people have endured. But as a new mom, you're thinking this is a lot. And you don't have, again, that manual. You just have that stupid book you got at a shower. And there was nothing in part two <laughs> that tells you what to, what to expect. And so every week, he would still have a significant amount of fluid on his brain. And I realized you know, we don't want to do the 1920s drilling and and drain his brain, but I did. I was like, can we just go to Home Depot and get this shit out? Like, this is ridiculous that we're doing this every week to see 1% change in the fluid. 
that was impacting his brain. And, and this is a long part to another day, another dollar, but there's no doubt in my mind that you can't have a brain grow as an infant and have it do this around fluid and not have it impact the way your frontal lobe and everything else comes together. I mean, he's he's a rock star now, but I'm just saying at the time, I did believe all of those predictions that they had shared because he was in a crisis mode for his brain growing at a critical time in their infancy. And I'm supposed to go back to work. And therein lies the juxtaposition that my marriage came into. So in a lot of cases, these type of situations bring people together. I think in our case, or I know in our case, it just put such a grave distance between us. We certainly didn't know how to communicate with one another anymore. I know that uh, he had just started a new job. My husband at the time had just started a new job, and I knew there was stress that he was in a new job and that I wasn't working, which he absolutely didn't support. Um, I had taken a leave of absence because I was at U of M every week, twice a week. I mean, it was a lot. And plus, I'm still giving him medication and I wasn't going to go back to that daycare. Are you kidding me with the popsicle stick stuck on his forehead? <laughs> and it just bubbled up all the problems we knew that were there. And we didn't have the capacity. And I've brought, I've brought this up several times, you know, the lack of tool set to communicate through these issues. And we didn't let our families know we were apart. And I just think everyone thought we were handling it. And meanwhile, it was just a pretty toxic environment for both of us. I always tried to do fair play. I wasn't the best wife. He wasn't the best husband. It was just a difficult time in our lives and so much pressure of not knowing what lies ahead. And, you know, I would go every week and I would be stressed about these appointments and he was stressed about his job. He never even asked me about the appointments, never even came with me ever. My mom did a few times because it was a whole day affair, but he never came, never came. And by that year end, we knew it was over. So thank you for listening to this episode of Class Reunion and Happy New Year. All right, friends, that's it for this episode of Class Reunion Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show, write us a review and share this podcast with a friend. Until next time.